Hello everyone and welcome back. This is Robert Fleming, one of the partners in the Tucson, Arizona elder law firm of Fleming and Curdy PLC. I'm here with my other partner, Elizabeth Noble Rawlings Freeman, uh, and also with Roz, the, uh, the new associate uh, Corgi at the office. I hope she doesn't try to participate too much today. We're going to talk about the SECURE Act, Elizabeth, and I, don't, I just don't know how Roz feels about the SECURE Act. Well, I think her first question is, can you remind us what that is? <laughs> oh, what a nice uh, serve, nice lob. Uh, the SECURE Act was adopted a couple of years ago by Congress, and it dramatically changed the way um, beneficiaries, beneficiary uh, distributions are treated under uh, individual retirement accounts and 401ks and other similar um, uh, defined contribution retirement plans. And there's been a lot written and spoken about it. I, you know, I'm not going to try to to do a, a survey that, that answers every question. We, in fact, have done a podcast or two about the SECURE Act. It's just that now it's been around for a couple of years. Things have had a chance to marinate. There's still a lot of confusion. And I wanted to talk about some of the types of things that are the most common issues that we're seeing that, that were changed by the SECURE Act. So Robert, I would say the number one question I continue to have both from clients and also from financial advisors, um, not as much as CPAs, but definitely the financial advisory community is, remind me what happens with that inherited IRA and the required minimum distributions? Okay, so let's do a very quick um, general description. If you own an IRA, you've been putting money in it, it's your IRA, you didn't inherit it, it didn't roll over, or maybe it rolled over from a, a different retirement plan, but it's always been your money. You, when you hit 80, uh, why did I say 80? I don't know, it's because I'm looking at 72 right down the barrel, and then I guess it scared me. When you hit 72, <laughs> you're going to have to start withdrawing money from it. And that's, that's called a minimum distribution or a required minimum distribution or sometimes a minimum required distribution. Most of the lawyers who work in this area and most of the accountants and, and uh, financial planners call it your RMD. You have an RMD that you have to take out every year. And the amount of the RMD is based on your, your current age each year. And it's recalculated each, each year based on a table that the IRS publishes that tells you how long you are statistically likely to live at each age. Now, that's pretty straightforward. There are several variations on that. If you're still working and you're and it's a 401k that you're contributing to, but it's not a company that you own, you don't actually have to start taking the money out at 72. Um, there, so my point is not to belabor individual rules, but there are some special rules for different circumstances. But the big picture is, for most people at 72, they have to start taking out their RMDs. When they die, one of several things happens. Uh, one choice is if you name your spouse as the beneficiary on your IRA, and let's just do IRAs. The rules are generally the same for 401ks. 403Bs and the other kinds of plans, but let's just kind of stick with IRAs. So if you decide to name your spouse as beneficiary of your IRA, they can roll it over into their own IRA. They can, in fact, combine it with their existing IRAs if they want to. 
I don't know why most people don't do that. I think in their heads, they still think of it as the deceased spouse's money with air quotes around that. Uh, and so they, they like to keep it separate in their heads. But there's no reason you can't combine it. Only spouses can do that. So those are not the cases that cause a lot of, of problems for us, generally speaking. Okay, Robert. But one of the questions comes when I'm speaking to somebody who might be one of two or three or four beneficiaries who are going to be dividing that IRA once the owner dies. And so often the idea that they had in their heads was that they got to stretch out the distributions from that IRA based on some kind of calculation on a table. And that's one of the things that's changed a bit with the SECURE Act, correct? Absolutely correct. It used to be that everybody who inherited an IRA could choose to take the money out over their life expectancy, looking at a similar but different table from what from the one that the owner looked like, looked at. But that changed. Now there are three kinds of beneficiaries other than spouses. Again, spouses can roll things over. There are beneficiaries who are not designated beneficiaries. And that doesn't mean that they're not listed on the on the beneficiary designation. They're just not a category of beneficiary that is called a designated beneficiary. And if you're one of those people, like the estate of the of the owner, you have five years to take the money out. That what? hasn't changed. Five years. You can take you can wait five years and take it all out in five years but you pay the tax on it when it comes out. And, uh, and so if the estate is the beneficiary or, as I say, a number of other um, uh, bad, with quotations around bad, choices of, of beneficiary, you have a very short time limit to take it out. So, Robert, on a tax side, that continues to, to potentially be pretty significant, correct? It does. If you, if you have a large IRA couple hundred thousand dollars and you have to take it all out in the next five years and you are as the inheritor of the IRA you're of an age where you're actively working you're already in a high tax bracket you are now going to pay the income tax on that distribution at the highest marginal rates so that can be a pretty big hit usually when we describe IRAs we say think of them not as your IRA, think of them as yours and Uncle Sam's. And Uncle Sam owns as much as about 40% of the IRA between state and federal taxes. Uh, so the IRA that you leave to your high earning daughter who is a venture capitalist or something is not worth nearly as much as you think of. it is just looking at the account balance. Wow. So, Robert, you said there were three different scenarios mm -hmm. here. That's the hardest one is for somebody who is not a designated beneficiary. For almost everyone else, they get 10 years instead of five years. And that's the most common scenario under the SECURE Act. So you have 10 years to take it out. Again, you don't have to do it all in the first year. You don't have to wait until the 10th year. You can do... 20% every year, or you can do a big distribution this year and smaller ones later, whatever you want to do, but you have 10 years to take out your inherited IRA. And Robert, does a Roth IRA still have special characteristic characteristics as opposed to a traditional IRA in this kind of scenario? It does. The Roth IRA has the same requirements for minimum distribution. You have the same 10 years to take it out, but when you take it out, 
There's no income tax due on the, uh, on the Roth IRA. So if you are the inheritor of a Roth IRA and you're subject to the 10-year rule, you probably want to leave all of the money in there to the last possible day so that you don't take it out until it has accumulated tax-free as much as possible. Then when you take it out, you don't pay any tax on it, but now you're going to start paying tax on the earnings on that principal. Got it. So that's category two. Five years is category one. Not very many people fit into category one. Ten years is category two. The vast majority of people fit into category two. And then there's a third category of special kinds of beneficiaries. Those are beneficiaries uh, who are trusts for the benefit of a surviving spouse or trusts for a person who is uh, uh, severely ill or disabled. And uh, today I didn't want to talk about the details of how you create that trust or what rules uh, govern the trust. I really just wanted to highlight that if you have a child who is disabled uh, or a grandchild for that matter who's disabled and you want to name them as beneficiary of your IRA, you can do that in a trust that will be allowed to use their life expectancy under those that second batch of tables uh, in, to determine how much the minimum distributions are. And that will allow uh, a, a big extension of the, uh, of the distribution time and a significant reduction and delay in the total amount of income tax that is due. And Robert, that third category is usually where I get the most questions coming from folks because they just want to they, they want to find that exception right you want to work around the rules and get the best bet you can right and so I that helps me I mean that's definitely if I were to say one of the areas I continue to see questions that comes up and, and I left out by the way one category in that uh, special third group and that is the minor child of the owner of the IRA they get to use their life expectancy until they reach their majority and then suddenly they are stuck with the 10-year rule as well. That's not just any minor child beneficiary. It has to be the minor child of the owner. So if you have a significant IRA and a child who's 10 years old, you can delay the tax effect on that child by naming them as a beneficiary, um, but, uh, but you can't do the same thing for your 10-year-old grandchild. Got it. How about any other questions or, or you know, quick facts you want to bring up? So here is where I think the SECURE Act has really made a difference in the thinking about beneficiary designations. The difficulty is that people uh, refuse to fit neatly into categories and they everybody wants their own category. So rather than thinking of a big IRA that you're going to leave to your child with a disability, most people have three children, one of whom has a disability, maybe one of them is seriously ill, and the other one wants to get all of their money out right away. And the difficulty is if you name a trust for the benefit of those people as beneficiary, we're going to have to convince the custodian to divide the IRA into separate shares in order to get the best income tax treatment for each of the, of the three participants, the three beneficiaries. And so it really has, it has uh, heightened the need to make sure that if you create a trust for your children, regardless of whether they have, whether they have a disability uh, or whether they're seriously ill or whether they're minors, um, and you want to divide the IRA, you really need to name as beneficiary of your IRA 
one third to the trust for my child with a disability, one third to, to the trust for my child with a serious illness, and one third to the trust for my child who is his own trustee and can take all the money out if he wants to. You're not gonna get the maximum stretch out for the child who's gonna take all the money out right away or who has no disability and no serious illness and is not a minor, but at least that's not gonna foul up the process for the others. And Robert, in that scenario, when we think about the reasons to do it, there's not some special tax benefit as much as there is clarity for the custodian. Is that is that your point? Correct, and custodians, they hate these complicated situations because they need the situation to fit onto their form because they're handling hundreds of thousands of IRAs and, uh, and they don't want to spend a lot of energy customizing each one. So they want, they want to have a, a bunch of, of straightforward rules. One of the IRA rules that did not change, this is not from the SECURE Act, it, this was, has been a rule for, for 20 years, is that you have until September of the year after the year of death in order to fix these definitions, these uh, these beneficiary designations, to to divide the IRA and to to make distributions to the charity, which is by the way, charitable beneficiaries are one of those category one people who have to take it out in five years, but they want to take it out right now. They don't care about being in category one because they don't pay any income tax anyway. That's why IRAs are such a good thing to leave to charities, but I digress. Uh, the, the custodian wants everything tied up neatly. You have until September of next year to do it, but trying to get the custodian to physically divide an IRA that names the trust as beneficiary is, is difficult and sometimes impossible. Wow, Robert. Well, I feel like we are just scratching the surface of what is to come in the future with retirement accounts and planning and estate planning. It, it really continues to be an area that keeps evolving. As the rules change, people seem to continue to get a, you know, confusion around it. I, I do think that in some ways, having things based on a fixed number of years rather than life expectancy, conceptually, people have a better idea of understanding what that means for them. Before, when we were trying to pull out these tables that the IRS uses, it was pretty, could get in the weeds pretty quickly and people were confused. Well, now I just see people bummed out that they're going to be taxed, but you know, it is what it is. That's right. People feel like something was taken away from them and the rules did change in a way that disfavor almost all IRA beneficiaries. There are still a small handful of people who benefit from the minimum distribution rules. But what that really means is people who own large IRAs or people who are administering estates where there is a large IRA have a real premium on figuring out the most tax efficient beneficiaries uh, to, to, uh, to identify on the, on the IRA. And I, you notice I keep saying large IRAs because the reality is if you have a $20,000 IRA and three kids, the dollar amount of difference on the tax effect is not going to pay a lawyer and an accountant for the couple hours it takes to figure out the best answer. So it, it, it's not that it's irrelevant, but it's just not terribly important. If you have a million dollar IRA and a $2 million estate, and we see a lot of clients who are in that category, the IRA beneficiary designation may be the most important thing that they need to consider.
Well, Robert, I never get tired of arm wrestling with custodians. Um, <laughs> and I, I foresee more of that in our future. And for those who are listening today, when we talk about custodians, we're talking about the Fidelities. We're talking about the Merrill Lynch's. We're talking about not necessarily the bank, but oftentimes you might think of the, the party where you see your statements coming from. So sometimes we work with an advisor, and advisor's name is on a statement. But what bank is that statement uh, coming from? That's what we're talking about when right. we talk. Bank talk or about. other financial institution. Right. That's what we mean when we're talking about custodians. Well, I learn something new every time we do our podcast, Robert. So thanks for spending time with me. Thank you. And thank all of you for bearing with us as we dived a little bit deeply into the SECURE Act and, and how it's changed the landscape of planning. You've been listening to me. I'm Robert Fleming and my partner, Elizabeth Noble Rawlings Freeman. We are two of the partners at Fleming & Curdy PLC, a Tucson, Arizona elder law firm. And of course, you're listening to Elder Law Issues, which is our weekly podcast on topics dealing with elder law issues. That's actually why we called it that, as I remember. We hope you'll join us again next time.